Welcome back to the Desert Springs Church Podcast. It exists to supplement the ministry and growth of the body at DSC. My name is Drew, and I'm the music minister here. My name is Chase. I'm the minister of theological training. You're going to get that right eventually. You're going to figure out what you are. It's pretty long. We still don't really know what he does. And for the second time, we have uh, Dr. Ryan Kelly back with us. Ryan is our preaching and teaching pastor. Ryan, thanks for being here. Good to be here. And I guess if we're calling him Dr. Ryan Kelly, we should be calling you Master Chase Jacobs, right? I I am a master. You just finished. Jacobs M. Div. That's right. right. I have a whole bunch of more letters to put after my name. That's right. Um, I feel so much smarter. So, with all of these letters surrounded us, and I'm still just Drew, uh, we're going to (laughs) talk about worship. This past Sunday, Ryan preached from Psalm 92, which is all about the psalmist picking up instruments and worshiping God. In fact, all the psalms, in one way or another, are about worshiping God. So, we thought, as we're diving into this series about the Psalms, that it would be good to do an episode on the topic of worship. This is a big topic, guys, so we thought we'd start with an attempt at a definition, or as we were discussing before, an attempt to define a definition, use someone else's definition, or even just discuss how difficult it is to define worship. So, Ryan, why don't you get us started and and help us think through uh, just the word worship and and how we should think about it as Christians. Yeah, it's been said that the word worship has as its aim or the thought behind it, worship. Uh, And so, we think of the different synonyms used in the Psalms uh, for praise to God, praise being one, worship another, uh, ascribing to the Lord, which is sort of describing to God what he's like, shouting for joy, singing. The list is is uh, long of the different words for worship. Uh, in some ways, they have um, a basic concept in common of ascribing worth to God, of honoring him, of lifting him up, exalting him. Um, and in some ways, they each have their own um, special significance as well. Right. And worship isn't just exclusively a Christian idea, too. There is all kinds of worship in, in our culture abroad. Many people even use the word worship for a variety of things, talking about worshiping their spouse, worshiping their kids, worshiping their job, or even in positive ways of, of idol worship, of worshiping celebrities or people who are famous for various reasons. And to take it back to the ancient Near East, um, the, the word worship you know, literally means to bow down. And so, you'd have pagans doing that before their false gods, as well as Israel bowing down before its true God. Yeah, I forget who I've heard said this, maybe it's Paul Tripp or Tim Keller have worded it some way, that we're just hardwired worshipers. We were designed this way, and we do it constantly. We're constantly ascribing worth to things, to people, to time, to power, to money, all these things. Um, so, so maybe to put a finer point on it, you mentioned the wording that, we've, that we see in the Psalms so much. Um, let's talk about what worship looks like, specifically for a Christian. Maybe we could start personal and then work our way to public. So, private worship versus corporate worship and help us understand the differences there. And isn't that one of the reasons why it's hard to define worship? Because some of us have a concept in mind, um, others have a different concept in mind. There are different contexts that are biblical um, for worship. So, um, while some of us would lean more towards thinking of worship as me alone with God, having certain feelings of praying or reading my Bible, or even getting alone with Him on a mountaintop. 
And others would have the idea of worship is Sunday morning. It's the saints gathering together in corporate worship as a local church. Those are equally important and true. We can glorify the Lord with um, with our eating, our drinking, whatever we do. All of life is to be one of worship. We're to give Him glory in, in everything, and yet there is something special about the saints coming together. First uh, Peter 2 talks about the living stones being assembled as a temple, um, seeming to indicate that when we come together, there's, in a sense, a different kind or a different degree of God's presence among us than there would be throughout the week. What comes to mind is a sermon that David Clarkson preached in the 1600s. Uh, David Clarkson was a, a pastoral assistant to John Owen uh, before Owen died. And Clarkson uh, wrote a, a sermon, preached a sermon, it's published now, and it's called Public Worship to be Preferred Over Private Worship. And he gives 12 reasons why public worship uh, is to be preferred. There's more of God's glory there. Uh, there's more of a feast of God's word there. Um, there's the mutual edification of building off each other as we observe each other's worship and hear from each other in worship. Um, there's the mingling of fellowship that happens in corporate worship that can't happen when we're alone with our Bibles in our prayer closets. Yeah, he dwells in the praises of his people. Inhabits the praises yeah. of his people, yeah. yeah. So, so while it's important to think of family worship, which you guys did a few weeks ago, uh, while it's important to, to realize that all of life is sort of lived out in the temple of God, well, we are actually his temple. You know, our, our bodies are, are to be living sacrifices, um, which means all of life is to be a, a living sacrifice. And yet, uh, I think Clarkson's right that there's something special about the church gathered together and God inhabiting those praises, say, on a Sunday morning. Ryan, tell me what you think of this. So, there are different contexts and ways that worship happens, but isn't there something of a progression, as we were saying, from the individual to that corporate level that really begins internally? So, there is an inward dis disposition that an individual has that then is expressed in different contexts, which may add to the variety of words that we have for worship and, and ideas that we bring into that. But it does start with the individual on the inward level. So, the, the corporate gathering is a bunch of individuals who are doing something at the same time right. together. And to put a finer point on it, I would say it actually starts with thoughts. Mm. So, it's important to think that think through the fact that worship is, it's not, it's not music, it's not merely singing. Those are the mechanisms by which worship takes place. But it begins with our thoughts about God. And if we back up even more, it begins with His revelation to us. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, the way it's described sometimes is that worship is revelation and response. Mm -hmm. So, God must speak. That's why we often begin our services with um, the reading of Scripture. Uh, we want God to call us into worship, as it were. Uh, but then once we hear from Him, what comes next is our sort of mental agitation on these things, right? We want to think on those things. We, we, we must have um, truth that the music carries along um, and that we put on our lips in, in song. Uh, and, and so, it, it begins with thoughts. It then should move to affections. Um, so, it shouldn't be theoretical. It's not merely um, catechistic, right? It's not merely instruction. It is instruction. But but it, as we're thinking on what we're singing and the truth behind it and the God of it, 
um, we should ideally be moved by that. That that's now the the fuller equation of worship. Hmm. Um, hearts stirred by truth about God, uh, expressed in song or even in the silence of sitting under the word preached. Let's not um, make the mistake of thinking that worship is singing, period. Worship is that thing we do of singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to God. It's all all the parts of a, a corporate worship service like preaching and prayer and fellowship and the ordinances. Yeah, I often think of the word evaluation when it comes to worship and that connected to ascribing worth. And so, we are evaluating, ascribing value to God. And so, as we're thinking about the qualities of God, the attributes of God, the works of God, that should cause us to esteem Him even more highly, to attribute more value to Him. And worship is really Right worship is just recognizing and acknowledging God for the worth that he has, the value that he has, which is supreme over everything else. And kind of to Drew's point, we're evaluating everything, and that's that's fine. It's right to say that my wife is more valuable than some person that I've never met before in my affections. I should have more affection for my wife. I think that's a good definition of idolatry is when you place something that is not the one true God in a position of value that is higher than God. So, you can even say that you're a Christian and still be practicing idolatry because you esteem something else more highly, more worthy than God is. John Piper says, he gave a definition that true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. And I think that's that's helpful when we consider biblical worship and corporate worship, like you said, Ryan, and certainly includes more than music. Oftentimes, people will come to me and thank me for the worship, and I know what the their heart is behind that. Uh, but I often want to want to give them a well, actually, and by God's grace, I've restrained from ever doing that. That all all that we do w- when we come together as a church is part of corporate worship, and then that extends once we disassemble. And go to our homes. That everything we do, apart in in our lives, from the like you quoted, from the drinking and eating we do, is worship. So let me ask this question: What if you wake up on Sunday morning and you just don't feel like you've got God rightly valued in your heart? But there you are. Church starts it. Whenever, whenever we gather again, whenever it starts, uh, what do you do if you don't feel like you're worshiping God and everyone else around you is? Yeah, uh, I think it's really common, um, and often it's not just when we first wake up, but we might find ourselves a couple songs into the worship service, and we're still feeling like, well, our hearts are just flatly on the ground today, um, not heavenward at all. Um, so I think we confess that. I think we um, acknowledge the fact that um, we're not yet in a new heaven and a new earth with glorified minds and bodies. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as maybe we're tired, maybe there's an allergic reaction, maybe um, maybe there are distractions, um, or, or maybe, you know, throughout the week it's been um, very difficult and we're wrestling with some depression, some doubt. Where something's innocent or amoral and then where it becomes moral isn't always clear, but I think we can confess the Lord, either our weakness or possibly even our sin, when we don't feel a desire to worship Him. And when we ask for His help, confess it, ask for His help, uh, ask Him to do it, you know, sort of maybe reconfess that, Lord, even though I don't feel like you're here with us, I believe it. 
I believe First Peter 2. I believe you inhabit the praises of your people. I believe that your word doesn't return void and you have purposes for it, specifically today. Um, so I'm trusting you for that, Lord. And I think God is glorified in that process of us expressing our weakness and or our sin and asking for his help again. Absolutely. We believe, help our unbelief. Oh, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus, but oh, for grace to trust Him more. I think oftentimes we put too much emphasis on our experience, on our own feeling of worship, on our own uh, sensing of God's presence, that if we don't have that same feeling that we had that one time or that same experience that we, we had last week, then worship didn't take place. I think that puts too much on our own personal experience of worship. And worship is, like Jesus said in John 4, it's the Spirit and truth. And you guys have mentioned it. It starts starts from thinking rightly about God and then and then responding according to his character, according to who he is as as a spirit. So I think of it as the Holy Spirit works in us through through our worship to further reveal who God is and what he has done as we consider who God is and what he has done from his word. So it starts with truth in us, and then the Spirit works, it cultivates that truth in us, and then that stirs us uh, to worship. Even as a worship leader, and I'm doing air quotes, or as a, as a song leader, there are many times where I've felt, like you guys have said, spiritually dull on a Sunday, and i I absolutely believe and support what Ryan you've said about confession. Definitely start with confession, but also it's a it's always a reminder that corporate worship is not dependent upon me, the song leader. If I'm not perfectly worshiping, it can still happen. Worship can still take place even if I am not uh, perfectly in tune, if I don't have my heart tuned to sing His praise and I'm di- distracted by uh, my guitar is out of tune or or this sound is off, the Lord worship, uh, can work through those imperfect means to still be glorified and to still edify His body. So, I'm reminded that in those moments, then I'm driven again to the cross to see that the only perfect sacrifice of praise that was ever given, that has ever been given on this earth is from Jesus. And in light of that, there's a way where entering into the act of worship can actually change our inward disposition. So, outwardly working, I think that's why so many times the Psalms say, like in Psalm 92, it's good to give you thanks and praise. It's appropriate to outwardly praise God, even if we're not quite there yet on the inside, that there's, that entering into that process can stir up that affection and lead us to the inside reflecting what's happening on the outside. And we have to be careful. We don't want to turn it into a ritualistic thing and, and just going through the motions. It's not that, but it is right to, to sing. And that's a means, I think, that God uses even corporately to hear other people praising God. That's why Colossians is saying that they're talking to us. They're telling us the truth. They're preaching the word to us through that song, that truth that can lead us to that right estimation of God. Yeah, in Ephesians, it says addressing one another. So, there, the one another aspect there in corporate worship could mean that you are telling your neighbor to believe this, that what we are saying is true and that they should believe it. And then when you hear your neighbor singing it, it encourages your heart to believe and to uh, affirm that it is true. Amen to that. And, the, and there's also some dynamic where our own singing can by God's grace, actually uh, turn our hearts. So, Psalm 92 spoke of singing in joy, but also singing for joy. That's right. Um, so, there's hope. You know, if I sort of gave a list of, when you asked me the question, Chase, about, um, you know, if you don't feel like worshiping, well, yes, 
confess your weakness or sin, uh, ask for the Lord's help, and then just start singing, right? There's another one to add to the list is, well, just get after it. Just do what God already calls you to do. And oftentimes, um, it's not a, like you were implying, Drew, it's not a fake it till you make it kind of thing. It's that God actually works in, uh, in us as we rehearse truth over melodies. It has a stirring effect. Yeah, it's a means of grace. Part of God's gift to us in music is that it does stir up emotions. It does invoke a physical response uh, to the truths uh, that, we're, that we're singing and that we're thinking about. Well, we've been kind of approaching this, this area of worship anyway, so let's jump into that as the, the aspect of corporate worship. Um, it's, it surprised me uh, as I've had friends that have not been Christians and then have become Christians and they can be fully on board with studying the Bible. They come to love Jesus and appreciate the work that he has. But then this idea of meeting together with other Christians and singing songs about that, that's, that seems to be one of the hardest leaps for somebody to make when they become strange. a Christian. It's very strange. Somebody pointed out one time, I think they were Australian, and they were talking to a bunch of American men, and they said, I love it so much when I see American Christian men singing, because in America, you guys just don't sing ever. You know, and he says, in Australia, we sing at soccer games, we sing in the pub, we sing. There's still a context for singing just being part of the interactions that you have with other people. And in America, that just doesn't happen. But that is not so the case in the Bible. Um, we see corporate worship all the time. So let's talk about that. Why do we worship corporately? Why do we get together as a group and, and sing songs? Well, uh, God has put it in us to sing. Um, and I, I do, I agree with your point, Chase, that um, it's really rare in America for public people to sing. I remember going to a Coldplay concert, though, once, and Chris Martin encouraging people to sing, and they know the lyrics, they sing in their car, and they did sing. Uh, it felt like church without Jesus being there. Um, so I thought, well, it's not totally dead yet, but point well taken, um, most people in our culture, unlike other cultures, um, they aren't used to singing. They feel uncomfortable even singing happy birthday at uh, the nephew's birthday party. Um, but God has made us to sing, and um, and I think when he begins to save someone and grow them in his grace, they will um, begin to um, find that importance and sweetness of corporate worship that they couldn't have imagined before they were Christians. So, I mean, why has he made us that way? I don't know. It's his wisdom and glory and beauty and uh, it's it's a it's a wonderful thing, as we've said already, to to sing truth either to him or to each other or about him um, over melody, and uh, it has a a stirring effect. It has a catechizing effect. Um, it's good that many of us have memorized some of the songs that we sing, and we can take them with us and chew on them throughout the day. Um, I mean, at times I find that that habit of calling to mind certain lines of hymns almost as helpful as doing the same with Scripture. I mean, not to equate the two, but uh, sometimes a well-worded line in a, a hymn can really um, do a number on my doubts and my worries uh, or, or even my, my anger or something. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I've thought about it in a few different ways. Certainly, our culture in, in the West now does not 
embrace uh, public singing like it used to. I would say it used to have this. It used to be nor- more normal to be a part of just a uh, even a community choir or uh, to sing in school as kids. Music programs are going away. So we, we, we've seen it suffer in, in our country and in our, our context uh, as of late. And, and another thing that doesn't help is that uh, for, for men, you mentioned American men, um, it's not seen as masculine to sing. So I've, I've just straight up, I reject that notion and, uh, and see the most, one of the most masculine dudes in the Bible is, is King David. And he was the, the king, warrior, poet, musician. Um, so I think, uh, like you said, Ryan, we were, we were made this way. We were physically designed by God to all have built-in instruments. And then on the other side of that is that God is worthy of our praise. And so we have a built-in instrument the Bible says to praise because it is good for us, because it befits the righteous. It's appropriate. It's attractive. We're to praise, and we have a built-in instrument, so we should praise. So, word to the to the man who feels like, I'm not a good singer. I didn't grow up singing. Um, that's okay. It doesn't say you have to praise professionally. It doesn't say we're going to put a microphone in front of you. It doesn't say that you have to uh, praise beautifully. Um in a technical sense, but that your praise as a believer is appropriate. Because when you were saved, when you became a Christian, you became a singer because Christians sing. When you joined our church at Desert Springs Church, you, in, in a sense, you joined the choir. We don't have a choir on, on normal Sundays. We do for special occasions, but that's because every Sunday, it's a, it's a choir gathering as we come together to sing truth uh, and to ascribe the Lord glory. As we think of the question, why, why has God designed it this way? Part of the answer can be, we don't know exactly, but the Bible tells us so. So it's important for us to realize, well, we get this from the Bible. It's not just cultural. Uh, it's not just because we've always done it that way. Uh, the Bible tells us to give praise to God, to sing, to declare, to tell, um, to shout for joy, uh, or even to lift hands. Uh, and so we get our marching orders from the Bible. The Bible tells us what we do in our corporate worship, and then the Bible is also the content of our corporate worship. So I've said before that our, our worship must be Bible-shaped and Bible-saturated. Uh, it shapes how we worship and what we do do in worship, and then what we do in that worship service is just Bible-filled. Um, yeah. it, it's the content of our worship. Yeah, music is emotional, singing's emotional, it's physical, but all of those things get filtered through the truth of God's Word as He's revealed Himself in His Word. You mentioned raising of hands, and so I've been asked, is it appropriate to raise your hand? What are appropriate expressions of worship? I think that's a good thing to ask and to be careful. We have examples in the psalm of shouting, of clapping, of raising hands, of bowing down. Uh, so there are there are biblical examples there. We don't see as many of those picked up in the New Testament, lifting of hands, as an expression of uh, reliance on God, um, I think I think these can be appropriate expressions. When we think in the context of corporate worship, I like to say, and I think that all of our expressions should be in a First Corinthians fourteen spirit of for the edification and the building up of the body. Is what you are doing physically with your body encouraging and edifying those around you? Uh, and that, I think that's a helpful filter for us to have when we think of uh, physical expressions. But uh, regardless of whether you raise your hand or not, uh, it doesn't make you more spiritual to raise your hand or not. All of us can have the physical expression of singing. We can all physically respond 
to the truth and to the music, uh, to the preaching, to the prayers by singing. During the Great Awakening, there was controversy about how physically expressive worship should be among the pastors. There was controversy. And, uh, and Jonathan Edwards wrote a book, Religious Affections, and he argued that he could fault no one for having X amount of physical expressiveness so long as they had truth behind it to back it up. So if you th he didn't use this scale, but I'll use it. So let's say on a scale of one to 10, um, we're pondering truth at the level of a five. Well, then it is fitting for our praise to be expressed at least at the level of five. Um, and, and, uh, and of course, for most of us, we, we have truth maybe at a seven, and our expression of praise is sometimes at a one, hmm. uh, which is really sad. But, but that's just interesting that we think of Jonathan Edwards, the old American Puritan, as maybe stoic or rigid or whatever you think of him, the, the one who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Uh, and he said he could fault no one for any form of physical expressiveness as long as they had truth in their minds to to warrant that sort of expression of joy. So, I mean, he's just getting that from the Psalms. God is great and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. So there should be something of commensurate praise to the greatness of God, and it will never be commensurate. Not even heaven's praise is commensurate with our infinitely glorious God, um, but we should seek for God's praise to be great because he's great. I heard John MacArthur say once that the level of our praise will never exceed our thoughts of God. Yeah, and as we think about that vision of worship in heaven, as you read the book of Revelation, it's filled with hymns, isn't it? That as we have this vision of what things will be like uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be singing the praise of God forever, just like the angels that just sing holy, holy, holy over and over night and day. And that will be our joy. That will be right. That will come out of us genuinely. And right now we're just practicing in some ways. We're practicing for that day. So my prayer, our prayer is that we would all grow in this practice of worshiping God, worshiping in spirit and in truth. And uh, it's our privilege to get to do that together. And longing for that day um, is really helpful for our good days and our bad days, meaning when our praise feels weak, we think of what's to come in a new heaven and a new earth with eternal praise. And when we're having our those those great moments, like when we feel like we, we've been caught up to the, you know, a, a second level of heaven or something, <laughs> um, we say, well, yeah, but this isn't even it, and there's still more to come one day. If the picture we see in Revelation is anything like what it will be in heaven one day, and you don't like singing, then you won't enjoy heaven very much. Yeah, and Ryan, you mentioned longing. That just makes me long all the more for the day when our church can gather together again and sing. I know the three of us have experienced trying to record these services and singing. We're singing, Ryan. You and I are singing along with Drew, and I can't even hear your voice because uh, we're so far apart with the social distancing. So this experience has made me appreciate all the more how sweet it is to gather together as a church and and to praise God together um, and, and wait for that day. I already know the songs that we're going to sing when we can gather again. I've been planning it uh, since we've been disassembled, and I'm not going to be able to even do it. I'm going to be so emotionally— You're going to start I'm crying gonna be so hard. I'm going to be a puddle uh, in anticipation, and, and when I finally get to hear our church's voice and voices ring out in praise, it'll, I'll, I will be an absolute disaster. 
be a sweet day. Yeah, well, on that thought, let's uh, bring this episode to a close. want to thank you for listening to the Desert Springs Church podcast. want to thank our guest, Ryan Kelly, for being here to discuss this topic of worship. If you'd like to find out more about Desert Springs, you can go to our website, dscabq.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're going to have another episode for you next week. Until then, on behalf of Drew Hodge and Ryan Kelly, I am Chase Jacobs. Master Chase. Master Chase Jacobs. That's the last time you can do that. Uh, Let's keep spreading God's glory broader and deeper. Proximity alert. Well, doesn't it talk about like Jesus touching lepers and... Oh, yeah, absolutely different, yeah. Let's say that slower. Did not age well. Your etymology showing.